welcome to AJC's Passport, a weekly podcast where we examine political events, the people driving them, and what it all means for the Jewish community. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. In German elections this past September, a far-right party, Alternative for Deutschland, or AFD, entered the Bundestag, Germany's parliament, for the first time. German Chancellor Angela Merkel, whose party is again the largest in the Bundestag, pledged that she would not include them in her governing coalition, leaving her path to a majority unclear. In October's Austrian elections, we saw a far-right party, the Freedom Party of Austria, or FPO, which was founded by former Nazis, enter that country's parliament. Unlike in Germany, the FPO had previously made it into parliament and had even been part of the ruling coalition in the early 2000s. Sebastian Kurtz, the young and popular right-wing leader who came out on top after the election, included the FPO in his coalition. Here to talk about developments in German and Austrian politics is Deidre Berger, director of AJC's Berlin Raymer Institute. Deidre, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be with you. Before we dive in, Deidre, can you give our listeners a little bit of a background about how Germany's parliamentary democracy works? Angela Merkel won the election. Why is she not chancellor again automatically? (laughs) That's a good question. Germany works very differently, and many other countries in Europe, from the United States. A parliamentary democracy means that whoever can form a coalition actually can head the government. It doesn't even have to be the party that got the largest number of votes if others coalesce around ideas and principles. Let's dive in by discussing these negotiations to form the German governing coalition. For those of our listeners here in the States, can you give us a little bit of a background about the task that lies before Angela Merkel right now? Yes. German Chancellor Angela Merkel is having tremendous difficulties forming a coalition in Germany. Elections were in September, and we're still nowhere close to having a new government. The reason is because of the sudden appearance of a populist right-wing party called the Alternative for Germany which came out of nowhere to get 12.5% of the vote. This skimmed off votes from the two major parties in Germany, the conservative Christian Democrats and the more center-left Social Democrats, and they also took away votes from the Green Party. It means that there are now six parties in Parliament. It's very difficult to get them to come together. And above all, The ideology and some of the political thinking has shifted more to the right, but no one wants to enter a coalition with this far right-wing party. And everyone's having a very difficult time deciding what did the voters really want to say with this election. Tell us more about that particular party. Can you give us some background on where it comes from, what they're looking for in this moment? Yes, the Alternative for Germany was founded in 2013, and it was sort of a reaction to the economic problems in Europe that were triggered by the 2008 recession. And Europe also felt it. There was tremendous unemployment. Germany, as the largest and strongest economy in Europe, was paying the bills for a lot of countries. And there was a lot of resentment in Germany to this, and this really enabled the rise of a Euro-skeptical party, and this was the alternative for Germany. They came, they nearly vanished, and then suddenly there was the arrival of over a million refugees, mostly in Germany, in a very short time frame. And this prompted a backlash, a xenophobic, anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim backlash, 
And the alternative for Germany profited from this enormously. They retooled their messaging. And out of almost nowhere, they entered almost all the state parliaments in Germany. And now in the fall of 2017, they came into the national parliament. Is there anti-Semitism within the AFD, this alternative for Germany party? It's extremely disconcerting to have a far right-wing party in the German parliament. It hasn't happened since the 1960s, and then it was just a handful of parliamentarians. We now have 92 members of this far right-wing party, and none of us know what this will bring in a change in atmosphere. They are not, for the most part, overtly anti-Semitic. They're much more sophisticated than earlier right-wing groups and populist parties, which is probably one reason why they've been able to establish themselves as a more ultra-conservative party that's acceptable for normal people to vote. They don't depict themselves as extremists. They've really entered into normal middle-class circles in, in a very disturbing way. The direct anti-Semitism isn't there, but their leaders have made some very disconcerting comments, including calling for the government commissioner for integration to be sent back to Anatolia and be disposed of there, using language that's very problematic, particularly in Germany, displaying nationalism and calling on Germans to be proud of their soldiers, and then to question, in fact, the necessity of Germans' commitment to Israel. And this is very disturbing. That was the first thing the party leader said the day after elections. There have also been examples of direct anti-Semitism from more local leaders that we have called out repeatedly and publicized, but it's more of a subtext, which isn't to say that it's not there, but the party leaders in particular, and at the moment also the members of parliament, I think know better than to be open or public with anti-Semitic sentiments. How has the public reacted to the success of AFD, both the general public and also the Jewish community of Germany? The reaction in the public has been largely to condemn the arrival of this party. But 12.5% is not a small amount. There were a lot of voters they pulled from other parties and non-voters that they pulled. And it's difficult now to see the German political scene without them. And no one thinks this is a flash-in-the-pan phenomenon, unfortunately. It seems likely to stay. So I think there's been some outrage. We had hoped for more outrage. And in Parliament, members of Parliament are doing their best to prevent members of this, this right-wing party from taking the chairmanship of important committees and commissions. For instance, the Cultural Commission oversees all of the memorial sites in Germany. And just the idea that a member of this right-wing party that harbors Holocaust revisionists among its ranks and talks about the German culture of guilt in a very deprecating manner, that someone with those attitudes might actually be in charge of all the memory sites in Germany is, of course, greatly disturbing. And what about in the Jewish community? Germany's Jewish leaders have, for the past few years, been warning its membership about the Alternative for Germany party. They say it's not good for the Jews when a party is rapidly anti-Muslim, anti-immigration, the chances that they turn against the Jews are very high, especially knowing that there are many anti-Semitic, Holocaust revisionist sentiments amongst many of the leaders, not just the members of this party. 
There is, however, a small degree of support, um, many of us suspect, in the largely Russian-speaking Jewish community here in Germany. They're very conservative, and they often listen to Russian news. And Russia has been extremely supportive of the alternative for Germany, as the Russians have been of all the far right-wing movements in Europe. And a lot of Russians in Germany, including Russian Jews, watch mostly Russian news. So we suspect that there certainly, unfortunately, were some votes. But the German Jewish leadership, also, I might add, with Austrian and the Swiss leadership together, have been very, and French, um, are very, very clear that far right-wing parties are not good for the Jewish people. There was a much more flashy item this week. It was reported that Iranian agents have been caught surveilling a number of Jewish institutions in Germany, including a kindergarten and the Israeli embassy. Can you tell us more about this incident? Yes, it's very upsetting and of great concern that the German government hasn't reacted in some way yet to this whole network that became apparent when German agents raided 10 locations several days ago here in Germany to uncover material about espionage surveillance efforts against Jewish and Israeli targets. What we do know is that last year there was a conviction of a Pakistani man who was hired by Iran to do surveillance on several people in Germany and in France, including the head of the German-Israeli society um, and a rabbi we also know about in Germany. This agent was fortunately found and tried and convicted, and the conviction was just upheld by a Berlin court, and this man is now in prison for four years and three months. But the new investigation is yet another level of this espionage activity. It's completely unacceptable that in the heart of Europe, the Iranian government is trying to destabilize in this way and to hire people to plan potential terror attacks. And we certainly hope that the German government comes down hard on this. AJC has called for the ambassador to be expelled. The ambassador was cited um, to the foreign ministry in December because of the previous incident with the head of the German-Israeli society. But this is far more extensive. It seems there was an entire network here. We will push in addition, that sanctions be imposed on the Revolutionary Guards, that Hezbollah be banned in its entirety. There's a whole network of terrorism and espionage that the Iranian government is supporting. And whatever else one says or thinks about the nuclear agreement, we need to focus on Iran's support and promotion of terrorism. Someone could say expelling the ambassador, doesn't that seem like an extreme step? Everybody spies on everybody in this day and age. But we know from fairly recent history in Argentina, for example, that Iranian agents uh, have no compunction about turning that surveillance into action as when they detonated bombs outside the Israeli embassy in Argentina, uh, as well as outside of a community center in Buenos Aires, the AMIA building, killing dozens of people. So this feels not like necessarily just a surveillance operation interrupted, but perhaps a catastrophe averted. Very possibly. And I think that not just Germany, but the European Union must take notice of this. This was a widespread, concerted, systematic effort to attack Jewish and Israeli targets in the heart of Europe. We're not talking about Iran destabilizing the Middle East. 
we're talking about the security of Germany and in Europe. And we're also talking about the safety and protection of the Jewish community. And I think this shows once again that Iran's contention that it's not anti-Semitic is absurd. When they look for a target, the Jews are the first place they're turning to. Let's move east to Austria, where the same hurdles that seem to be keeping Angela Merkel from forming a coalition that is a desire to avoid working with a far-right party have not held back Austria's young, charismatic chancellor, Sebastian Kurz, from forming a coalition that includes the Freedom Party of Austria or the FPO. So why did Sebastian Kurz, who is certainly a friend of of AJC, of Israel, uh, of the Jewish community, as much as, as Angela Merkel is, perhaps, why he was willing to form that coalition when Angela Merkel is not interested in a coalition with AFD? There's a big difference between the situation in Austria and Germany, which doesn't mean that we're not concerned about a far-right-wing populist party entering government in Austria. The Freedom Party in Austria is a much older party. It goes back decades. The alternative for Germany is not even five years old. And the Freedom Party has been part of state governments before. In 2000 to 2006, It was even in a national government coalition previously. This isn't the first time, interestingly. So the party has much more acceptance in the population. In certain regions of Austria, the Freedom Party easily gets 28 to 30 percent and more of the vote. It had almost disappeared, but it had new leadership, and it's been strengthening the last decade. So this is such a large segment this nationalist, back-to-the-roots kind of party, social welfare. It's a sentiment that too many Austrians share to simply be overlooked. Sebastian Kurz didn't have any options. It's also a different situation than in Germany. There are several options. They're difficult in Germany, but Angela Merkel is, there were really only two, but she's now working on the second option, And if that doesn't work, there may be new elections in Germany as well, by the way. But in Austria, the Social Democrats, who had been leading the government, came in second, and they said they are not going to enter government as a junior partner. So this left Sebastian Kurz with only one other partner to negotiate, the Freedom Party. And as his party is a conservative party, this was also ideologically not such a large divide, The conservative Austrian party is also certainly somewhat to the right of the German conservative party, which is is more centrist-oriented. So I think there was simply an easier path to forming a coalition because the Freedom Party is more accepted, and it was easier, I think, to find agreement on specific topics because there's, there's fewer bridges that are difficult to cross between these two parties. What was important for Sebastian Kurz was to put in an extensive statement about the importance of fighting anti-Semitism and supporting Israel into the coalition agreement with the Freedom Party. And they agreed to it. And in general, there haven't been any more manifest expressions of anti-Semitism from Freedom Party leaders in recent times. 
which a few people in the Jewish community have taken notice of. There is some support for Sebastian Kurz, and possibly, as in Germany, some support for the Freedom Party also in Austria, but it's really in the minority. And I think the Jewish community has a very wait-and-see attitude in Austria about how this coalition will work out. The suspicions are there. This Freedom Party is well-established. Many of its leaders and many of the ministers are members of what they call dueling fraternities, which are very popular in both Austria and Germany. These are networks that are very right-wing in their ideology. They, they form at university, and there's a lot of anti-Semitic expressions that happen, at least privately, at meetings of these fraternities. And these are people now in government. So it's hard for us to believe that these members of the Freedom Party suddenly are dropping their anti-Semitic stereotypes. But we would like to think so. I think we all need to wait and see what happens. Often being in government, taking responsibility, does moderate people's rhetoric somewhat. But I think we shouldn't expect miracles. How has Israel responded? Will Israel meet with FPO ministers? Is it going to impact Israel's relationship with the Kurtz government as a whole? Yes, you are absolutely right that this is a dilemma for the Israeli government and an additional dilemma because it's not just about Austria. In a time and age when right-wing populist parties are definitely on the upswing and even taking over governments, as we see with Hungary and Poland, the Czech Republic, the question is, what kind of diplomatic relations can Israel have with people who come from milieus, in any case, that are deeply anti-Semitic? In this particular case of Austria, there's, I think, a great deal of sympathy for Sebastian Kurz, who is very positive about Israel. And in fact, a lot of these right-wing parties, incidentally, are very pro-Israel on the theory that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The Israelis are fighting Muslims in, in their way of thinking, and therefore it's a country to admire, that Israel is not fighting Muslims, but terrorists um, is another <laughs> issue. But I think there's, there's really not a problem with the Freedom Party recognizing Israel and committing to close relations. It's more of a dilemma for Israel, because many of even the ministers that were selected have made some very problematic statements. The interior minister, who's a member of the Freedom Party, um, just last week talked about how it could be an idea to consider concentrating refugees in, in refugee centers. And this whole idea of concentrating refugees in centers, obviously an allusion to concentration camps, and it, it sparked quite a controversy. And the dilemma is always, the first time people break a taboo, everyone's outraged. The second time, fewer are outraged, and eventually people get used to it. And that's, I think, one of the big dangers, is that it becomes the new norm, the new everyday way of talking about things expressions and sentiments that for us definitely cross the line in, in terms of how we talk about the Holocaust, how we talk about Israel, how we talk about Jews, how we talk about Muslims and refugees and other issues. At the moment, Israel has said that it will gladly entertain warm relations with the Austrian government, but it will not have contact at the ministerial level with members of the Freedom Party. Deidre, thank you so much for your insights and your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. This episode is brought to you by AJC, the American Jewish Committee. Our producer is Alex Zeldin. Our sound engineer is Scott Reitherman. Tune in next week for another episode of AJC's Passport.